record now. Okay, hit the record button. So this week, welcome to Unfortunately Required Reading. We are going to be discussing Amanda's like least favorite play. Uh, no, no. My least favorite <laughs> play is like Equus. <laughs> See, I can't take I can't take it seriously because I was younger and it was age appropriate for me to be attracted to Daniel Radcliffe at the time. And my friend Oh, I was post- like, where yeah. Because you but- said younger. I'm like, did you read this as a kid? No. Was- um, I was but I scared. made a comment about having a crush on Daniel Radcliffe. So my friends mm. put the picture from like People magazine of him in Equus on my door. And I'm like, you guys, come on. <laughs> I had to read Equus for one of my uh literature classes in college. So it was required reading for me. So now it goes on the list. Just I'm you know. so excited to see the owl painting in the background. So for those who obviously can't see because this is a podcast, yay. Um, <laughs> for those of you who can't see because this is an audio format. <laughs> so I think it was like two years ago. I went it was shopping like two years ago now. at a thrift store and I found this owl painting. And I know Amanda loves owls, but the expressions, there's a bigger owl and a little owl. And it looks 100% like that meme, don't ever talk to me or my son again. And I Mm. had to get it. And I just, (laughs) that was like your Christmas present that year. It was. (laughs) And like, it showed, like you showed up with it. I was like, what the fuck? Because it's this huge thing. It's like, like, no. Um, In all fairness, I did get Tori for our our podcast anniversary. uh, Welcome to our haunted farmhouse. Which is upstairs, and I laugh because every da- time I do a presentation for like my volunteer gig or for work, you just see "Welcome to Our Haunted Farmhouse." And I've talked to corporate clients before with that in the background, and no one has ever said anything. Yeah, I, it's in my uh, dining area. I created like a backdrop basically because I do videos and stuff here uh, because I don't like doing them on my sofa anymore because I get too comfortable, and it's bad for my back. So I created like a little backdrop. So I have the owl painting. Also, fun fact, we discovered that apparently everyone owns this painting because Tori and I are both in a secondhand group. And like, we have seen this painting approximately 50,000 times in that secondhand group. So apparently everyone owns this painting of these surly like owls. The late 70s. From, yeah. And I mean, TBH, I'm fine with it, but it was kind of shocking to be like, oh, this was not, this was a thing. This was a whole ass thing. Well, there's also a couple somewhere that collects those like little boy blue paintings. Mm-hmm. It's like the best way I can describe it. It's like a copy of something that used to be in France somewhere. Watch is yeah. like a really famous painting that I should know the name of anyway. But this couple literally every time they find one at a thrift store, they buy it and they just have a room devoted to it. I'm just what? I mean, you find it- your thing, I guess. It makes me really want to go thrifting, but also we're still in the middle of a pandemic, so. So, use caution. Yeah, I mean, I it does make me really want to go thrifting, because I do I do genuinely love, like, estate sales and thrifting, because of course I do. <laughs> if you can't tell by my everything, of course I do. Um, but yeah, I, I love the painting. Um, I get a lot of comments about the Let the Fun Be Gin. It's magical. Fun fact, Hendrix Lunar might be my favorite. Oh, did you just get it? Yes. Is it amazing? It's so good. 
Hendrix Lunar is a gin for those of you who are, are not on the alcohol spectrum. It's a spectrum. I don't from, know. From, from casual to lush. Like, well, let's just say I have a, a thing in my house and it's like I only drink on weekends, and the top one is don't judge me. And my daughter for years was like, I need you to fill this up with wine corks now so I can show it to people. And I'm like, first of all, don't make your stepmom into a lush, okay? Like, yeah, please. first of all. I Second can do of that all. on my own. <laughs> oh, I quoted um, the glass menagerie for work. Oh, did you? Yeah, uh, we have, you know, we're on Slack and my boss was like, rise and shine. And I fully said, I will not, I will, I will rise, but I will not shine. Amazing. Like just casual, like off the cuff. It's like, I will rise. I will not shine. Cause that's, that was the encapsulation of how I felt. It's like, I, my body might be here, but fuck you. (laughs) My body might be in front of this computer. But my my animus, my spirit, still in that bedroom. I would like my spirit to be currently like reading out of some sort of dark book. And uh, I spent way too much time watching WandaVision. Anyway. I, I've, okay. So shows I've been watching obsessively. My 600 pound life old reruns of uh, No Reservations with Anthony Bourdain. Oh, I love Tony. I miss him so much. Yeah. Um, Black Ink Crew, which is like no tattooing and all drama. <laughs> and I've watched Black Panther like 10 times. That works. I don't know why I've rewatched Black Panther so much. I think I feel bad because Chadwick Boseman is dead. Because I was kind of a harsh critic. If you read my article on Fangirl Nation. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. (laughs) If you read my review on Fangirl Nation, uh, I was kind of a harsher critic than most on the movie. I mean, I still liked it, but I was kind of like, it's fine. (laughs) While everyone was like creaming themselves over black representation and shit like that. So I guess like I felt bad. So I've rewatched it a bunch of times. I don't know what accent everyone is doing. Yeah. Did no one get like an accent note? I I was wondering that, but I just thought it was like the Wakanda accent. Like they decided that this was what the Wakanda accent sounded they like. They all sound different. And Forrest Whitaker is just Forrest Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker is always just Forrest Whitaker. I was so just the the Blick Panther. Not an A, it's an I. It's like, okay, sir. Also, Angela Bassett, gorgeous. She's literally oh. wearing a pure. She's literally wearing a pure one like end table on her head. That's a basket. And she still looks good. I mean, she Mark. looks great. Hey, I just looked up and you're down here. Are, are you okay? So for, for those of you listening to the podcast since we are recording, my husband had surgery mm-hmm. two days ago. Yes. He's being a mostly good patient. Yes. Except for now where he wanders into frame and I thought there was like a Moby Dick kind of thing because I just saw like a cresting form over the sofa and I was concerned deeply I like came downstairs so like didn't want to bug him <laughs> and then he Hi. comes downstairs to bug us I think he's there, something. there was a TikTok that I was watching that I forgot to send you it was a lady who was doing her nails and like behind her is this like obvious shadow figure 
And it's, oh, no, thank you. Yeah, and it stitches to a woman. I was like, who dat? Who dat back there? TikTok has become dangerous. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're talking about the Crucible. Well, we're not talking about the Crucible because, uh, fun fact, the word witch hunt kind of got ruined, and I think we're going to talk about that probably. Yeah how uh, the word witch hunt has been like really watered down and uh, used mostly by pathetic white men to uh, cover their tracks of their guilt. In recent years, it has been used in ways that are not accurate. Yeah, it's, um, it, the, the, the pageant way, way of describing it would be, uh, it's taken on a new meaning. Yes. So this week's episode, we've called the actual definition of witch hunt. Yeah, because there's uh, actual like witches and hunting. Yes. I'm currently <laughs> drinking a self, well, strawberry lemonade alcoholic beverage. I'm drinking nothing right now, uh, mostly because I overslept and had to like shuffle very quickly from all of the spaces in my apartment to be on time. Gotcha. I had to like fast walk really to the various places of my apartment. It's like, okay, take medicine, get dressed, back to the thing. Um, but I will probably be drinking later on tonight because I have three bottles of Hendrix gin and I feel very accomplished. You are very accomplished. I'm okay. Uh, what we would suggest you at home drink, uh, apparently Arthur Miller and Marilyn Monroe both loved an Irish coffee which, I mean, hashtag same. So. Irish yeah. coffee for the win. I got to learn that. Uh, Arthur Miller and Marilyn Monroe both love themselves an Irish coffee. Uh, don't skimp on the whipped cream because that's good for you. Are we ready to short story long? I, I, I guess. <laughs> so we are in Salem, Massachusetts at the time of the witch trials because it's the start of it and a group of young girls are dancing with an enslaved woman named Tituba. They are caught by locally and generally dislike Reverend Paris. Paris's mm -hmm. daughter Betty falls into a coma-like state in shock. He sends for the Reverend Hale after insisting this is just a medical thing and the Reverend is only coming to put people at ease that it's not witchcraft. A crowd gathers at the Paris home to ask about witchcraft rumors going around town. The Reverend asks Abigail Williams, the ringleader of the group about what happened in the forest and she said that it was just dancing and there was nothing weird going on. Reverend Paris tries to calm down his unwanted house guests and Abigail tells the girls, don't admit to anything. Just basically like come back with a warrant. Mm -hmm. um, John Proctor drops by as he's a local farmer and he ends up talking to Abigail alone, which is a big no-no. The rest mm -hmm. of the town only knows Abigail once worked in his house and was fired. They don't know that his wife Elizabeth fired Abigail because Proctor and Abigail were having an affair. Abigail still has the hots for Proctor, but he's very much not interested in a prepubescent, well, I guess a pubescent girl. He tells her to knock off all this shit with the other girls and just admit that they were dancing like idiots. Mm -hmm. Betty wakes up screaming in the middle of this. The crowd runs upstairs to see if she's bewitched. An argument starts with Proctor, Paris, Giles Corey, and the rich Thomas Putnam. This is focusing on land deeds and who owns what in the town. Basically, who owns what part of this forest that people have been hunting in. This mm -hmm. is super important because we see that there a lot of these people who are later accused of witchcraft had a lot of land and wealth to lose. Reverend Hale shows up and checks out Betty. 
Proctor leaves over this nonsense. Hale asks Abigail about the girl's activity. Tituba confesses in communing with devils and accuses townsfolk of consorting with the devil, trying to like save herself because she knows that she's basically screwed. Abigail mm-hmm. joins in on all of this and then Betty names a bunch of people who are supposedly witches and everyone loses their damn minds. A week later, John and Elizabeth Proctor are talking about how crazy everything has gotten with so many town folk being accused of being witches. Elizabeth tells John he should tell those in charge that Abigail is definitely a liar and a fraud based on their previous experiences. He refuses and she gets jealous and accuses him of still having feelings for the girl. Their servant, Mary Warren, returns from Salem, all super proud of herself for being an agent of the court. She gives the doll she made while in court to Elizabeth. She warns them that someone has accused Elizabeth of witchcraft, but won't say who it is. Elizabeth obviously knows that it's probably Abigail. Mary is sent up to bed after a big show of trying to be a badass and telling John Proctor not to mess with her because she could make his life really hard. Reverend Hale shows up while they're talking. Giles Corey and Francis Nurse show up advising their wives have been arrested. Officers of the court suddenly show up to arrest Elizabeth. Proctor tells Mary she has to expose Abigail as a fraud. The next day, Proctor brings Mary to the court, tells Judge Danforth that she's going to spill the tea about the girls lying. Danforth is like, uh, I don't actually believe your motives, Proctor. Proctor finds out while he is there that his wife is pregnant, and this will keep her from the noose for at least a year, but Proctor still wants Mary to testify. Mary tells the court that they are making it up. The girls come in and accuse Mary of bewitching them. Proctor confesses to try and clear the air that he had an affair with Abigail. To test this claim, he calls in Elizabeth and asks if John has been unfaithful to her. And for like the only time in her life, Elizabeth says no and lies to protect his honor. Unfortunately, Danforth uses this as proof that Proctor is the liar. Abigail and the girls start acting weird and saying that Mary and Proctor are bewitching them with like birds and shit. Proctor loses his scrap and speaks against the court. He is arrested. Hale quits because he knows that this is a circus and he does not want blood on his hands. We have gone from summer to fall. The witch trials are causing problems in neighboring towns now. Danforth is nervous about their impact. Abigail runs away, stealing all of Harris's money in the process. Hale has lost all faith in the fake court and begs the accused to confess so they can at least leave with their lives. Elizabeth begs John to confess. Convicted, he agrees, but refuses to incriminate anyone else or do it publicly or sign the confession. Proctor tears up the written confession, takes back what he said, and said he will not throw away his name as it's the only one he has. Mm -hmm. Hale begs the court. Proctor goes to the gallows and the accused are hanged. Uh, Okay, Arthur Miller. I'm glad that you decided to LARP as Nathaniel Hawthorne and just relive, I guess, some past trauma with a play. Who wants to talk about the the, uh, House of Un-American Activities Committee? I do! Yeah, there was actually a lot about that that was kind of, I guess, like I had forgotten about because I remember reading this for school, I think like shockingly young. Yeah, it was like 10th or 11th grade for me. Yeah, like too, basically too young. I just remember watching the movie in class and the only line that stuck with me is when they were asking John Proctor to name his commandments and his wife leans over and goes, it's adultery, John, when he can't remember it. And 
I came downstairs after telling my husband what we were doing and I just mm. looked at him and I go it's adultery John and he's like what are you even talking about never mind the only thing that reminds me of and this is semi-related is uh in the hunchback in Notre Dame when uh Frollo was like let's go over your alphabet and it's like a abomination b blasphemy I mean that just feels like a the puritan era i guess it just feels like catholic education <laughs> i think my favorite in that is uh when he gets down to d d's damnation and then e is eternal damnation I'm like why and that always makes me laugh like every time i see hunchback which is approximately like once a month <laughs> that little line always cracks me up it's like d damnation e eternal damnation <laughs> like yep that's catholicism there you go you summed it up uh so we have a lot to talk about when it comes to symbols and themes and such uh for some social historical context uh especially during this time uh women who were black and some of the men there was a lot of concern about them not being Christian or not being Christian enough because they saw the indigenous religions as pagan and satanic and scary. So there was always this kind of concern about like black religious purity that I think a lot of people don't assume or think about very much back then um, because you know we have all those nice old Negro spirituals where they were clearly Christian and clearly adopted but even those were taken from the fact that they really didn't care about the Bible. They just liked the stories because a lot of them were about persecution and overcoming and like a promise of something better. So it wasn't even like them really relating to the Bible on a spiritual level, just, oh, hey, like this group of people came out of bondage and that's what we hope to do as well. Uh, tangent i had a friend living with me and my family for a while and he bought his first car because neither of us had cars back then it was just my aunt and uh he named his first car moses and he was like why is this why did you name your car moses like because it took me out of and he says because it took him out of bondage and it's like that's perfect but we need to talk about the fact that uh as tori has so eloquently put in the outline that uh, the nice white girl is always believed and uh fuck the black woman which is the story of black women to this day absolutely which <laughs> like i don't even have a joke for that i don't have a quip for that it's just well it's one of those, those things too and you you see it i mean if you're obsessed with true crime or all that as well mm -hmm. Um, there's the concept of the lesser dead, which is mm -hmm. really, really fucked up, pardon my language. Um, but what it really means is in the media, if you are a white woman who has been kidnapped or murdered or anything like that, which is horrible, please don't yes. think that I think any of this is good. I don't. Um, you are basically put on a pedestal as, oh, look at mm -hmm. this. And, and you see it to some extent, um, well, we'll get into that in a minute. Um, but with, with if it's a white woman who has been murdered, it is, oh my gosh, look at this poor woman. She's been murdered. It's, it's terrible. We need to find the guy who did this. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, there goes down a chain, right? Mm -hmm. 
and towards the bottom is the black woman. It's a black woman, she's less likely to get as much media coverage. She's less likely to get as much enforcement. Her story is less likely told. That's why Breonna Taylor was such a huge deal and should continue to be. Uh, we saw it out here in Texas as well. There was um, Vanessa Goyen who was murdered and mm -hmm. it really took her family and the whole community coming forward and saying, this is a tragedy, do something about it for mm -hmm. something to happen. And you had to have a whole group of people versus just basic media. Um, and it's not just the media coverage. I think the big thing also is um, that it's the immediate assumption of for a black person to be involved in crime that it was their fault. So like one of the big narratives with Grana Taylor was like, oh, well, there were drugs. Cool. You didn't need to do this still. Well, um, that's something we've seen recently too is yes. the, the case with, uh, I mean, God, how many shootings have we had in the past couple of weeks at this point? Um, uh, I mean, uh, the number is always too many. The whole discussion of, the um the officer saying oh well you know this kid had a bad day if oh he my had God. been a black shooter that was atlanta he would have been, been dead you know oh, absolutely seconds. he would not have been taken in and the same thing too this is this is what kills me um i want to dylan roos dylan roof the one oh, who shot up the church Charlottesville. yeah yes shot up the church they took him to freaking burger king on the way in all fairness, that upset a lot of people. And that was, I was actually going to mention that because that's one of those things that upset me so much. Uh, but there's, yeah, like there's this presumed innocence with white people that just black people don't get. And that's something that, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say talk to your black friends about it because I'm not really into this whole like interview your black friends about racism right now. They're kind tired. Of. There's books you can read, y'all. Like, because uh, especially in the wake of Atlanta, you're seeing that with Asian communities. Like, talk to your Asian friends about how they can. No, just don't be a dick. Is no, what you need to do. Support and love your Asian friends. Tell them that you love them. Continue to support their yeah. businesses. And Tell keep people on pushing. who are being racist a holes to shut their mouths. Right. Like, don't please don't interview your minority friends about their experiences, um, unless they say that it's okay to do so like I've been Juneteenth I am more than happy to educate people on Juneteenth the Tuskegee study more than happy to educate people do not ask me my day-to-day -day experiences dealing with cat calling and code switching and being told to smile and um exoticism from men who are trying to sleep with me on dating apps and jackass women at Cracker Barrel who put their plate on your table and pretend that you're not there fuck that lady yeah <laughs> Yeah. I love that it's been like what like two years two, it's three been like years two now. years since that happened and I'm still mad about it for you uh for a recap I was at Cracker Barrel once which fun fact is a restaurant I quite like um and I was I was seated alone and this lady she was um of the Caucasian persuasion uh set down like some dirty plates on the un on the opposite side of my table where there was no one there and you know she just kind of like smiled at me like that old lady smile and i i remember texting my friends like i think i've been colonized like they just, like she just encroached upon my space and she felt like she could do that and i told the manager um because i needed the plates off my table and it's like yeah that old lady just colonized my table my meal was comped 
because apparently Cracker Barrel is that concerned about racism. And I appreciate them because it was nice to have a comp meal. But um, I told Tori about it and Tori was willing to fight someone's grandma. <laughs> Tori was willing to roll up and just like, where is this woman? Is she still there? I'm going to come get you. It was great. Like that's, that's allyship is when you tell a story and your friend is willing to fucking roll up and beat someone's ass. That's allyship. <laughs> so the funny thing is I am the most passive person. I deal with customer service issues all day long. Right. I am nice and kind, but if you go for my friends, I will go. I say, but if I say someone was mean to me, Tori is like sharpening the glaive. Just like, where are they? Where the fuck are they? Um, so I think we did incorporate a little bit of like how the disenfranchised are more likely to be attacked. Uh, one of the big things about the Salem witch trials is that like it did go after those who were easy targets mm-hmm. uh, because they were easy targets. So it usually went after women, older women, uh, the mentally ill or neurodivergent, which, you know, we didn't really have words for those back then. It was just, oh, crazy witch. Uh, which was probably like someone who was schizophrenic or something like that. Um, it did go after some people of color, but definitely not as many as some will say, because most people by that time that were of color just wanted to stay alive. So they weren't fucking with any of this. So that whole like black distancing, that started very early, which you'll see now in modern day. Um, Cause I know my aunt sure did distill that in me where it's like, you're going to hang out with good kids because if you hang out with the kids that have drugs, you're the one going to jail and they won't. So that like black distancing from any possible situation. It's like, if if I was at a party in high school, which I mean, I didn't go to any parties in high school <laughs> and like someone pulled out a joint, it was like the, the only clear path for me was getting out there because I can't be associated even like by proxy. Yeah, I can't, I can't be here with you. Sorry. Yeah, I can't be here with you because I'm going to end up in prison. And then whatever is left of my carcass is going to be murdered by my family. Like, <laughs> So something that I find really, really interesting about this is they also went after the older women who had mm-hmm. their own property, their own stuff. Mm-hmm. There is a line in the play, we vote by name in this town, not by acreage. And it's referring back to the fact that there are a lot of accusations or accusations, sorry, towards those who have a lot of land. And this right. is something that has been documented when it comes to the Salem witch trials mm-hmm. is that a lot of the people who were accused, the case was if you were found guilty of witchcraft, that land could be taken, could be right. sold and taken, and it would not go to your heirs and your family. And there is a conspiracy theory almost of like this just being a giant land grab. Like basically the Salem Witch Trials, which is like the pettiest HOA dispute ever created. I mean, I've heard some pretty petty HOA disputes and I, I will, I'm going to have to agree with that. <laughs> like I've, I've read that conspiracy theory. It, I mean, it's basically a conspiracy theory at this point, but like basically the Salem Witch Trials was like the pettiest HOA dispute ever. Cause it's just, yeah, we want your land. Um, there's actually a pretty decent lore episode about, um, I don't think it's, I know he does one on Salem, but it's another witch who's just old and bitter and no one likes her. And they're like, yeah, we're going to fuck you over and take your land. Uh, that was a thing. 
mostly because women really didn't have well okay so by puritan standards and colonial standards women actually had a decent amount of rights especially if they were widows that was the thing so if you go after the older women who are probably widows then yeah like they're gonna have a decent amount of rights so you should probably take them down because at that stage they might have as many rights as a man which lord knows we can't have that can we can't have with super interesting is that a lot of texas at least initially was under spanish law mm-hmm. was it spanish law or was it napoleon law I think napoleon. it was spanish law so what it did was it allowed women to have a lot more rights and then when you had like more english colonialism kind of come in all that went away mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you had to have you know your husband sign on off on all of your documentation you owned a business your husband had to be part of it like up until Louise Raggio, I want to say in like the late seventies. And then finally Texas was like, okay, you can have rights again. You can have your own business. But like it took until like the late 1900s, dude, which is weird to say because I was born in the 1900s, but we're gonna, <laughs> like when you go to the grocery store now and you show them your ID and they see 19 in the front of it, they don't even look anymore. They just go, okay. I don't want to think about that. Uh, I mean, honestly, that's one of the reasons why the Battle of the Alamo existed was that Mexico didn't want slavery and the white folk did. Yo. So, I mean, and it'd be even the the German citizens up in like Hill Country. I mean, we had a huge population of folks from Prussia and Czechoslovakia. Well, these are all names that don't exist anymore, but. Um, we had a lot of people from Europe, let's just leave it yes. at that. And yes. they were like, hey, we just left fighting all this stuff. Uh, we're not into this. Like, we don't want to yeah. be part of this. And then a lot of Germans were killed or basically forced through terror methods by the Confederates keeping their mouths shut. Right. Like, we did, we talked about the Tour de Union, I think, last episode, if I recall, um, where I sent Tori a picture of me at Stonehenge 2 being over all of it which i still haven't posted i need to post that it's totally fine uh i also have some pictures from the tour de union if you need those uh and then i've seen i've seen colonel fannin's memorial or general fannin i uh was upset which rightfully so but if you get to see the bloody arm flag of goliad you should see that you should see the bloody arm flag it's very fun I love texas sometimes (laughs) and i got to see the come and take it cannon it's very small i was gonna say i didn't think it was a big a big cannon i mean i think that's like south texas in a nutshell is uh those things that are like monumental and loom high in the consciousness are actually very small and inconsequential like the alamo the The alamo is tiny people come here to visit and they're like where's the rest of it you're like well see these buildings were actually added on so that there's a gift shop so really what you're looking at isn't okay we're done (laughs) yeah really all we have is a facade so i i used to work downtown like steps from the alamo and uh so i would cross it all the time that was my favorite part of working downtown is listening to tourists like where where's the rest of it like it's small it's like yeah yeah, it sucks. We have other missions that are much better. 
and much nicer. Go to Mission San Juan. Go to Mission Espada. Don't we have like the Basilica of the Little Flower too? We do. We do. Go see that. It's in the ghetto now. Which so, it's so weird to think that because you're driving through and you're like, wait, why is there, what is this? I mean, I, honestly, that's that San Antonio to me, to me is just like, hey, here's this historic building. It's in the hood now. The funny thing is, I don't feel unsafe ever in that area of town. I feel more unsafe no. at the gas station off of downtown. Like when you're, mm. when you're more by the, the warehouses and highways, yeah. that's creepy because you're basically by yourself in the middle of the night trying to get gas. However, yeah. like there are other areas you drive through and you're like, no, that's just where the good taco place is. Like I don't. Yeah, like and I, and I say hood lovingly because like fun fact, if you look at where my alma mater is, it is surrounded by hood on all sides. <laughs> but the school was there before the ghetto was, so because the school's hundreds of years old and we have a beautiful facade i think saint mary's has a gorgeous facade uh but we digress so yeah uh this might have been a giant land grab by some greedy folks we don't know we weren't there but there was a lot of uh let's just say suspicious accusations and it got very very easy to just use witchcraft as a way to get rid of like neighbors and stuff in the way that uh henry the eighth used adultery to get rid of wives it's like oh she was cheating on me so it's okay if i kill her i guess cough and boleyn cough Catherine howard mm. Mm. although she may have she was flirting a she lot may, she, she about to say mm. cough and of cleaves Call Anne, Anne of Cleves, Cleves rest Anne in peace. Anne of Cleves was the shit, though. I mean, she was great, but amazing. like... Amazing. <laughs> like, hi, I'm going to show up. Oh, you're going to call me ugly and tell you I don't look like my portrait? That's cute. You're a massive guy with a tiny penis. What do you want? <laughs> but uh, cough Anne of Cleves, cough Anne Boleyn, cough Catherine Howard, who may or may not have actually... Eh. So what I think is really interesting in the Crucible, too, is there's a part, basically, where the Reverend gives all these direct signs from the Malleus Maleficarum, which is basically called the Witch's Hammer, which is um, the document that they use to basically determine whether somebody was a witch during the um, Inquisition. And Mm -hmm. I've read it. It's really weird. It talks about all sorts of things, including vampires and werewolves and demons and stuff like that but literally these girls are sitting there as this guy's going did you see this did you Mm -hmm. see this did you Mm -hmm. see this and it's so easy for them just to go yeah yeah totally there was a bird oh yeah I totally feel like weird pinpricks on my body oh yeah we totally have dolls like they're just feeding off of it there is an interesting case for mass hysteria in a lot of this but also having read the Malleus Maleficarum uh there's a lot of things in there that are very innocuous oh yeah like it's like if she has a mole on her breast it means that she was suckling satan's spawn it's like i got a mole on my titty so what like (laughs) like what the fuck like it's just so many like dumb 
little things. Uh, King James loved the Malleus Maleficarum. Fun fact. Yeah, I can. Like he, oh my god, like he slept with this book and men, many men. I will never let this down. Like I'm the one person just in the back waving a rainbow flag anytime anyone talks about King James. So I have loved seeing all the discourse lately about people talking about getting women out of brewing and that's where a lot of witchcraft accusations come from Mm -hmm. and it's true Mm -hmm. because what do we talk about we talk about cats being their their familiars Mm -hmm. well obviously cats are going to be employed to get rats out of grain right um cauldrons where the hell else do you think they were going to be brewing freaking beer at the time they right. didn't have like those bottles with the weird pop top things. Like you no, were you were gonna be brewing at home. If mm-hmm. they're selling it in the marketplace, they're probably going to have a large hat so they can ha- be noticed in a busy marketplace. And like, less hot. Right? Um mm-hmm. a lot of the symbols that we talk about and you know, them brewing potions. Well, yeah, beer is a magical potion, okay? Um like we look at this and we we go, oh, well, that had to have all been evil. Do you like beer, son? Great. Do you realize that people were trying to take the practice from women because they could make a lot of money at it? Mm-hmm. Yes. That's where it comes from. That's why we have so, why it's considered to be a male-dominated industry. Before, yeah. it was a female-dominated industry. But also, we have to the talk master about- recipes. Yeah, but we also need to talk about the fact that, like, a lot of that is very, um, like, English-centric. Because, yeah, so true. one of the things I loved about, like, the Vikings was that the Vikings considered women to be magic because they could do math and bake. Yep. <laughs> and, like, that's, I mean, hashtag accurate. I think that's completely why women are magic is that they can make bread and do math. Well, weren't there certain populations of the English that hated the Vikings because they bathed, braided their hair, and smelled good? Yeah, a lot of, I mean, a lot of the English hated people for that reason. It's also why a lot of cultures hated the Jews, is because they regularly took care of themselves. And it's probably also because I recently found out that I do actually have a connection as far as bloodline to Ashkenazi Jews, and um, that's whatever you guys don't need to really hear about all about my family history we've talked about that crap on the podcast before we have it's frustrating to me that we look at other cultures and we look at things and immediately think oh they must be evil like Mm -hmm. what and and this is in here our notes as well about dehumanization of targets right now we're seeing it very heavily with the asian population Mm -hmm. um during the time frame that Arthur Miller is writing this, we would have had the uh, Japanese internment camps that had happened. Yep. Uh, Catholics were incredibly villainized in the United States for a long time. Um, immigrants, obviously, that's still a big topic of discussion, even as we're discussing what to do with a bunch of children that have just come across the border. Mm-hmm. Um, Middle Eastern folks, right after 9-11, um, yeah still and, I think we know, also would have had the lavender scare a little bit during this time yes, as well absolutely so for those who don't know a whole bunch about this and I'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it too um mm-hmm. gay men and women have 
always been around, okay? That's always mm -hmm. been a thing. This is not new. There's nothing new under the sun. No. A lot of them worked in positions in governments and were very, very cautious about their sexuality. Mm -hmm. They didn't do anything where they could be seen. They were very restrictive of themselves. And during the communist concern, the Red Scare, you also mm -hmm. had around that same time the Lavender Scare. And mm -hmm. that partially comes from the fact that they used to refer to marriages between like a gay man and a lesbian woman, like a lavender marriage. This happened in Hollywood a lot because the mm -hmm. studio systems had it set up so that, you know, you had clauses in your contract so they could fire you if you were considered to be doing anything that they saw as shady or could be mm -hmm. taken poorly by the American public. Mm -hmm. So you have people like Cary Grant who married multiple times. You have, and that's been proven by Ori Kelly, who was a very, very gay, amazing costume designer around the same time as Edith had. Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of famous figures. Greta Garbo um, was gay as hell. Yeah. Covered a lot of it up. Um, we had Marlena Diedrich same thing mm -hmm. they actually may have been in a relationship together um, they may have been there is an incredible book called the girl sappho goes to hollywood um if you're in the san antonio public library system you can check that out Woo! Um, but it's not a sponsor yet not a sponsor i wouldn't expect them to i want them to keep all the money for themselves accurate um, they there were a lot of women in hollywood who explored different sexualities Mm -hmm. And for a while, when they were making their own money, they could get away with it. Mm -hmm. um, but as far as the lavender scare, gay men and women who were in government were sought out, much like the communist scare, where they would say, I think that so-and-so is gay, so-and-so is queer, so-and-so mm -hmm. is this, and they would fire them. And they yeah. would make it so that it was almost impossible for them to be reemployed, because what they mm -hmm. thought was that uh, the communists and countries that were our enemies were going to take these people and they were going to use their sexuality against them mm -hmm. to get secrets. But not just that, like the lavender scare also affected plenty of private citizens. Yes, it did. Um, and the big thing was that it was just considered, it was basically a moral panic at that point is that it was a deviant lifestyle by 50 standards um, and that anything that wasn't like linear a man, a woman, 2.5 kids living in the suburbs with no black people. Anything that wasn't that was communist, basically. Um, a lot of black people also were targeted during uh, the Red Scare because they were afraid that black people would enjoy that freedom talk too much. That's actually a lot of it too. So I'm gonna go, I'm gonna skip over religious illusions real quick and go into the House of Un-American Activities, the McCarthy trials, all of that. Because yeah, I'm this is gonna completely tie in. So yeah, thank God we're theme we're we're doing things on a on a linear on path. Theme. I'm so proud of us. So this play, The Crucible, is very much a thinly veiled criticism of the McCarthy trials. And anybody it's not who a read very it about thin the, veil. no, it's not very thin at all. It's, it's not a like thin veil at all. Um, anybody at this time frame would have known what this was about. So this is a very, very brief primer. There are some incredible books. There's one called Demagogue that's all about um, McCarthy and where he came from and him faking a lot of um, records for military action and that kind of stuff. He was mm -hmm. basically always a sleazeball, let's put it that way. He was. Um, so 
initially during like the right after like the great depression and even a little bit more so we mm-hmm. didn't hate russia let me no. just put that out there we didn't hate russia we they helped us with russia. world war ii um yeah we so what happened was communism started to come into the country and people thought this was a really good idea okay mm-hmm. um it was not super popular despite how widespread the trials got um it was one of those things where people were like this seems like a pretty good idea well mm-hmm. you had a lot of anti-nazi organizations you had a lot of well initially anti-german organizations mm-hmm. after world war one going into world war two these organizations were still there they were very much against fascism and they were incredibly popular in hollywood and new york so mm-hmm. where there was a lot of intelligentsia and a lot of liberal folk mm-hmm. so russia ended up siding with germany initially with world war ii and signing a non-aggression pact and people mm-hmm. were heartbroken especially those who were involved in communism because they were like this is so fucked up you know this is exactly mm-hmm. what we've been fighting against well then all of a sudden the nazis go after russia mm-hmm. and russia says oh hell no and they join the allies mm-hmm. and so a lot of people who previously were kind of interested in communism were suddenly like this is great you know the mm-hmm. russians are with us we've got this and the Russians started to pay people to help spread the word of communism, especially mm-hmm. because you had already had the revolution, Lenin was in charge, Stalin had taken over. Well, there were a lot of issues with communism. So in the United States, the United States Communist Party, or the American Communist Party, I guess is the real term, they mm-hmm. were very unorganized. There was a lot of infighting. They didn't know the full extent of what Stalin was doing to his own people, where he was imprisoning them and killing them. And what Mm -hmm. was known was often downplayed as, well, Stalin knows best, he's there, you know, he's in charge of the country, he knows his people better than us. I don't know why I love that phrasing so much, Stalin knows best. So people who were in the Communist Party in the United States often saw their friends disappear in Moscow. No idea, Mm -hmm. just thought, well, you know, they're probably doing something else. It's a big problem. Mm -hmm. Where communism started to get very seductive and became a problem for our country was it became a dream to some workers. They started unionizing. They started forming social groups like communist summer camps, baseball teams, literary magazines, dance groups, peace groups, Mm -hmm. civil liberties groups. And Mm -hmm. we're talking, they would actively pursue African-Americans. They would African, or go after communities that were disenfranchised and tell them, look, you can be Mm -hmm. on equal footing in communism. So they went into this whole thing. They started, you know, getting stuff up. By the 1950s, communism had fallen off majorly. It was no longer that popular. However, Mm -hmm. the presence of unions were still a big thing. And unions meant it was going to cost businesses money. And those Mm -hmm. businesses and their lobbyists started complaining to the Senate. And this is where we start to get the trials. Mm -hmm. McCarthy goes, hey, this is something we need to look into. You know, this is really, really bad. We have people who had nothing after the Great Depression. They are working countless hours to get things going. So there's this idealistic idea of, oh, hey, we're going to go ahead and follow this and follow what these companies folks have told us. We're going to have these unions. We're going to get rights. We're going to have restricted hours. It's why we have the five-day work week, folks. 
um, they were able to call in idealistic groups like liberals, Jewish Americans, people who had had a lot of stuff against them mm -hmm. because racial equality, like I was talking about, was a big part of the US communism policy platform. They helped fight for civil rights. McCarthy was obviously going, hey, I need to get reelected. He was the least liked senator before the election. And this is before anything happened, all right? He started gathering people. There was the foundation of the House of the Un-American Activities Investigation. And they started going through records and finding out who the communists were. Now, again, this is the 1950s. A lot of people have left communism. They're not interested in it anymore. They found other things that they're into. They've seen their friends disappear. They're starting to understand that the cognitive dissonance that they've had is probably not great anymore. Mm -hmm. Certain people are called up. And when those people won't release names, they're considered to be a hostile witness. And so they are jailed or fined or held in contempt of court. So what people start to realize is if they don't start giving names when they're on trial, that worse things are gonna happen to them. And what they had been mm -hmm. told was a lot of people that they were gonna identify were people who had already been identified, that had already been discovered as communists. So really you weren't hurting anybody by releasing these names, but you were gonna be a helpful witness if you did this. Mm -hmm. You see Ronald Reagan go on trial. You see Walt Disney go on trial. Walt Disney was very anti-union. Um, you see- Walt Disney was a lot of bad things. He had, a, he had a record. Um, so we had a lot of people who would go on trial and they wouldn't give up their friends. They would say, no, I'm not gonna do that. Um, Arthur Miller was one of those. Mm -hmm. Arthur Miller was called up and he refused to name names. He said, there's no point in me telling you any of this. You're not really listening to me. Mm -hmm. What's really interesting is there was an interview with Arthur Miller, it's on YouTube, of him talking about this time frame. And he says that a government official told him if he could organize a meet and greet with Marilyn Monroe, that he would make sure that they dropped the charges. Skeevy. Mm -hmm. um, where this became really, really bad is obviously people were jailed, people were fined, uh, people fought for years with appeals. Mm -hmm. The blacklist became a big deal. And that was where these names would get released to individual industries saying, you might not want to hire this person. You might not want to keep them employed because they were associated with this communist party. And people were on the blacklist who rented a house to somebody who turned out to have been in the communist party like five years before. Like we're talking distant relations a lot of the times. Um, so these blacklists would just kind of get left for studio executives in Hollywood so that they would be like, oh, well, we can't hire this person anymore. They're box office poison. Um, mm -hmm. So you had a lot of people who would get rejected. Arthur Miller was one of them. What's crazy about it is we actually had a Texan, uh, John Henry Falk, who was really popular in radio, really popular in television. And he was accused and he's like, first of all, we know this is BS. He had started a campaign to shut down blacklisting because he said that that was unfair and cruel. And he was the head of uh, like the television and radio actors union of like mm -hmm. the vice president or the president. And they ended up 
accusing him of communism, blacklisting him, and he sued for libel against this organization that sent out documentation. And he won after six years of battling this. And that's what effectively ended blacklisting in this country Mm -hmm. because they had to pay him out so much money. He won something like $3.6 million. It during appeals, it got brought down to 500,000, but people didn't want to spend the money anymore. So anyway, that is a very brief, very roundabout discussion of the House of Un-American Activities trials, Joseph McCarthy. Um, I definitely recommend reading more about it because you're going to see a lot of the tactics that are still in play today mm-hmm. are things that were learned and perfected during this time period. Yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely go read more about this. Uh, I think McCarthy is on the list of worst presidents, but I think we still have a winner for worst president. Oh, he wasn't worst president. He wasn't a president. He was, um, oh, so but he did sucker uh, Tru- not Truman, Eisenhower. Eisenhower, sorry. Um, into a lot of stuff that he probably wouldn't have gone through because Eisenhower was actually a really liked president at the time. Um, so fun fact, my great-grandparents live in Denison, which is only famous because it's Eisenhower's birthplace. That sounds about right. Uh, and actually, my great-grandma used to work at the Eisenhower birthplace. And uh, yeah, that's the only thing they have. That's, that's it. That's all that Denison, Texas has is is eisenhower shit if he ever gets canceled uh that city's going to fall into the is going to just fall into lake texoma just going to give up goodbye so now that we've gone through all that um oh can we talk about lennon's body is it is it still okay so lennon's body at this point has been mostly replaced by bits of plastic that are specially Okay, this this is the area of specialty that I want to die on, okay? I have never been to see Lenin's body because I have never been to Russia. And do you know how bad I want to go? I it's do. It's actually closed right now um, because of COVID. Well, so they, they're well, not keeping that museum open. Who's coughing on Lenin? So Lenin, they decided they were going to preserve him because he was such a huge national symbol. Now, yes. keeping in mind, he died pretty much in agony. I believe he had had a stroke and heart problems and all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, it was bad when he died. Mm-hmm. He, he looked really terrible. He did. So they embalmed him and they used what was considered to be a new technique at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, his body stayed really well preserved and they decided, you know, they wanted to go ahead and keep it so more people could see this great leader who basically led around a revolution, all this crap, right? Mm-hmm. Well, over the years, obviously, the human body is going to break down. He is put in a specialized solution, and they replace pieces of the body that have fallen off over the years with a special plastic kind of mm-hmm. um, replacement product that still looks like skin. Mm-hmm. They redress the body. There is a time period. I, I want to say it's like every year, every six months, they shut down briefly to do repairs and make sure that he looks good. When mm-hmm. you are inside, you are not allowed to take photographs. It is a place of reverence. You are not allowed to talk. You will get, be escorted out by security guards based on what I've, I've heard from other people. Um, some people, and, and we have very few members of like the original communist party that are still alive because a lot of people died during um, World War II. A lot of people died Mm -hmm. 
during the famines. A lot of people died during the USSR. Like women tend to serve out survive the men out there too, also previously because of drinking. That's become a different thing. Vodka no longer is like the drink of choice out there. It's more like wine, beer, other spirits. Um, you do have some older folks who are still very devoted to vodka, but for the most part, it's like you have a, a new system of people. But to some people, he is still a religious relic. Um, there is constant debate about whether he should be finally buried in the museum be closed, um, but that's still a hot topic issue. I only ask because one, it's a ship of thesis, Theseus problem. Oh, 100%. Which is my favorite. Do I have to explain the ship of Theseus problem? So if you guys watched Wonder, Wonder Vision, you already, or WandaVision, you already know. But for those of people who haven't, go for it. Okay, so the ship of Theseus problem is basically, it's a philosophical and psych, honestly kind of psychological as well, because it sometimes it does play into a, healthcare decisions which is very weird because it's it's this weird like psychological ethical and then philosophical dilemma that really should have stayed philosophical but humans ruin everything but basically it states that the Athenians have the original ship of Theseus but you know it starts to break down because you know it's a it's a boat it's going to break down so they replace it at what point does it stop being the ship of Theseus? Like, is it no longer the ship as soon as you make the first repair? Is it always the ship of Theseus because you keep fixing it? Is that more of like an esoteric title kind of thing? Does it stop becoming when the last piece is removed? It's the question of like, when is this no longer the thing that it is? And it like transfers over to like ethics and psychology especially like with Alzheimer's and other debilitating diseases where it's like, at what point is this person not a person anymore? And that's a conversation that no one really likes having, but it is uh, somewhat good to start thinking about because seriously, write a will. Yes. Have an advanced directive, which tells people what to do if you're in like a horrible accident or if you can no longer speak for yourself and have a will, have both. <laughs> Just... This is not me speaking from being previously funeral industry. This is me speaking from having a mom who died suddenly. Get on that shit. It's hard. It sucks. But like, just do it. Yeah, I remember having to finalize advanced directive documentation while my dad was in the hospital, losing Mm -hmm. his mind because he had terminal brain cancer. Right. And the notary telling my sister and I that when we were getting the paperwork signed that she was happy that we had called that day because any longer delay and she would not have felt comfortable notarizing documentation from my father. You want to talk about like gut shot when you're like, oh yeah, dad's, dad's not here right now. Yeah. Um, so I have an advanced directive. I had it before I went in for basic gallbladder surgery last year. Mm-hmm. And it's like, donate my organs. I'm not going to be using them. Like, <laughs> give them to somebody who needs them. Hopefully they're in good condition. I've tried not to live hopefully, like an a-hole, but. Um, hopefully they're in good enough condition. I just signed up for that be the match thing where they do like. Yeah. Um, I haven't got my kit yet in the mail, but it's one of those things where I'm like, you're going to. too much of a coward. Well, basically like. They numb your ass, they stick a needle in it, it hurts for a few days. And I'm like, you know what? 
if somebody like lives and I can like be fine for four days, whatever, it's fine. Like, but I also have like, I have low platelets, so I'm not allowed to do, I have too many medical problems. I'm not allowed to do fun shit. Basically. They're like, no, like I can't donate blood because my blood's bad. They have a hard time getting blood for me because my veins are so small. Mm -hmm. So they're just kind of like, I've been chronically anemic. Uh, I had a lady at one of the hospitals here actually asking how long I've been using injectables. Oh, wow. Which is, I mean, horribly racist. (laughs) But also like to tell you the level of like bad vein. Uh, Just assume that I was a chronic heroin user. Um, But yeah, so I do kind of want to go back to dehumanizing targets just because um, one, a lot of this is stuff that is rooted much older than you think. Mm -hmm. So some of it feels really recent, but it's not. So even like when Tori mentioned um, the Asian American uh, hate, this has been going on for a minute, y'all. Like, yeah, like this is nothing that started like oh my god cat hello sorry he was just okay it's perfectly fine i've now seen both cats um this is not something that even started with japanese internment it goes beyond that like so much of this racism and prejudice is so much older than you think and has roots and stuff that is so honestly like arbitrary and stupid um that's shocking and sad there's great videos on a lot of like the hidden history that you know maybe after a while we'll curate a playlist or something because it I mean it's a rabbit hole honestly like I was tr- I think my my big thing is is I want to figure out what Poland did wrong because everyone seems to hate Poland because they were very very successful against a lot of European countries at one point in time in their it has to be victories. more than that because it's a because this is a long-standing huge Jewish population. Yeah, and even like anti-Semitism, like figuring out the roots of that is very um, complicated. It's more than just bathing. Well, a lot also- of it too is goes into that military playbook of it is a lot easier to go after somebody that you don't respect. It is a lot easier to go after somebody that you don't think is human that you think absolutely of an animal and. That's why when you have people who do things like volunteer with other populations and go to other countries and actually interact with other people other than Mm -hmm. just your own country and your own people, you start Mm -hmm. to realize that, you know, we all have very similar problems. We all have very Mm -hmm. similar bodies. We all have very similar things that run us and drive us even down to different parts of our religions. So once you realize that this is another person this is literally another human being who has gone through things like you have. It is mm-hmm. very, very hard to want to take something from them, unless you're a sociopath, but. Right. Um, but yeah, like definitely dehumanizing the enemy and really not just during stress times. Stress times makes it worse, but like that's just a thing that especially um, like the West is excellent at. Oh, like, 100%. We're, we're great at demonizing others. Uh, I mean, look at the history of the United States. We're just going to leave it at that. The history, I, was, I was re-watching Pocahontas 
and I messaged this to Tori, but uh, the line, these white men are dangerous. There we go. Human history. We're done. We've, and end of movie. We get it. Yeah. yeah. And end of, well, no, because you have to get to savages where like both sides are saying the other is bad because like that's also human history. So you have to like that line and then savages and then we're done. Like there's, there's no more need for a movie because uh, that's just it. That, that's it we're, we're finished um but yeah de the dehumanization is interesting only because it takes so many different forms and it's so subtle and a lot of it at a certain point is just perpetuated and like you don't know why you're still angry at these groups it's like why do we still why are we still upset at this like what what have what have they done recently that warrants <laughs> This anger, because uh, like I know one of the things with anti-Semitism for a while was a, uh, oh, it was the Jews that killed Jesus. First of all, it wasn't; it was the Romans. Secondly, like, why are why are you mad about that? What what part of that upsets you? Still, in in the year of our Lord twenty twenty one. Also, when I mean I'm I'm not a I'm not a hugely religious person, but I have a question: Why is the Discovery Channel? showing a documentary a documentary movie on the resurrection of jesus i don't know is this scientific i, I mean, there, have no idea what you're talking about and i don't think i want to so i got an ad for discovery plus and they're doing like this movie event i use air quotes uh it's called resurrection and of course, all the actors are white playing. Oh, it's because we're coming up on Easter next. I mean, I know so why, but like, it's usually not on Discovery Channel. Like, there was a there was there is an Easter movie that I think is on like Fox or CBS, that's like on every year, and like Satan was played by a hot guy, and he drove a nice car in the desert, a nice anachronistic car in the desert. He just like had a convertible for some reason, and he like pulls out a red carpet for Jesus, in the desert. And I was like, yeah, that guy. <laughs> and my parents were concerned. I'm concerned. Speaking of, uh, I've, I ended up re-watching that clip from The Prince of Egypt. Uh, you're playing with the big boys now, because that's one of my favorite songs from The Prince of Egypt. And if that's supposed to make paganism uh, bad and scary, absolute failure. I, I want to go with those guys. So like i would like to get in their car thank you yeah like they have like cool or hand gestures and, yeah like if this is supposed to make paganism look bad and scary and be christian propaganda uh you have failed utterly with me i want to go with the egyptians thank you um so let's talk about religion more because we've got a lot of religious illusions in this play I don't want to talk about religion only because uh, I feel like a bad Catholic for forgetting that it's Lent. Okay, we're in the time of the pandemic. I don't- I, I don't. I've completely, I have been so bad this Lent and I'm usually not that worried about it because again, with being anemic, I have a doctor's note. It's okay that I eat meat because uh, it's that or death. It's, it's pick- also, if that's what God is mad about, he's ignoring a lot of things. So I'm going to cover this real quick. By all means. And you, you can continue to be a good Catholic in the background. 
I'm a Lutheran, so I'm already suspect. When have I... I argued with a priest multiple times. When have I ever been a good Catholic? See, I don't think that makes you a bad Catholic. I think that makes you a thinker, and I think that God would prefer that. Anyway, okay. I'm glad you do. Go ahead. In the, at least the LA production of this, there's a rooster crowing three times as John Proctor betrays himself and confesses a lie. And this is a reference to Peter denying Jesus three times before the cock crows in the Bible before he's executed. There is a reference to Pontius Pilate, God will not let you wash your hands of this. This is about the Roman leader who washed his hands of Jesus and sealed his fate to quote uh, Guns and Roses and uh, others. And uh, why can't I think of like a very, very famous Rolling Stones? There we go. Okay. So now they and their church found it necessary to deny any other sect its freedom, lest their new Jerusalem be defiled and corrupted by wrong ways and deceitful ideas. Mm-hmm. Basically, the new Jerusalem is a concept from the book of Ezekiel about a perfect paradise for Christians where everything is perfect. Although if it's Ezekiel, it's a perfect paradise for believers of God. Uh, yeah. John Proctor, not remembering the commandment, thou shall not commit adultery. We've already talked about this being my favorite line from the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Every single person violating the commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. And references to Martin Luther, who was also accused with trafficking with the devil when he split with the Catholic Church during the Reformation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the fun fact about those religious allusions is that a lot of them are either like inaccurate or uh, we don't care about them as much. So, like, there's been kind of, like, a reconquista with Pilate with basically just saying, like, he was doing his best. Like, there has been kind of, like, a like a free Pontius Pilate movement for some historians because, like, he was a real guy and he did real things and, like, he really... We don't... I mean, we, uh, Probably we do. didn't give a crap. He was a Roman. He's like, whatever this weird sect of Jewish people are doing. Right, like, like the people are unhappy. I guess we're going to kill this guy. Like, there has been kind of this uh, desire to let Pontius Pilate be less of a biblical figure and more of, like, the historical figure he was, which was just a dude. Like, he was just a fucking guy. Uh, You get that, actually, with uh, King Herod as well. Because, like, Herod was the real king. And, yeah, he did some crazy shit. But, like... You got to kind of remove him from the Bible a little bit because it's easy to conflate the crazy shit he did in real life and the crazy shit he did in the Bible. Um, yeah, everyone, everyone violating love your neighbor. I don't think anyone does. Does anyone do that well? I mean, John Proctor was loving his neighbor. Ow! But uh, that was a bad thing. That was yeah, that was bad. Um religion is weird go read the apocryphal text of the bible (laughs) so i do have to say there is a line Mm. in this from goody rebecca nurse saying i think i'll go then i'm too old for this and it is a complete mood and uh i i just love that very very much yeah uh shout out to my friend justin who is an english teacher who, uh, whenever he makes his class go over this, he hosts a funeral for uh, John Proctor. Oh. Uh, I mean, it's just such a, it's such a long play. 
I really very... so I listened to the LA performance with mm-hmm. uh Michael York and um why can't I think of it? I, I can think of no one's names today. D- uh mm-hmm. Richard Dreyfus. And it's oh. really as Hale and it's really good. Um well, I'm sure it's great. But it I was able to listen to it while I was doing a bunch of other stuff. So that's but it's very awesome. long. It's it long. Was, it didn't a... feel long to me, but I think it's just because I was doing stuff while I was listening to it. Yeah, it's. I don't know. It feels like for me, for Arthur Miller, this just felt very. It felt petty. I mean, because it is, but like it just, even without knowing the historical context, when he wrote this, we're gonna write about the Sa- the Salem witch trials. Okay. Uh, which means we need to talk about the, the the dilution of the word witch trial yes, and witch hunt because um, recent politicians like to throw that answer. word. Huh? For our pageant answer. Yeah, for our pageant. Have I told you the most pageant answer I gave to a question? No. Uh, we were talking about uh, family not being good with money. Uh, it was me and a friend and I said... Uh, they were not the best stewards of what God gave them. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... It's like they were not the best stewards of what God gave them. And just like, yep, that's that's your that's your diplomatic answer right there. But completely loaded and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, so here's the thing. Witch hunts did happen. Most of them were ferocious and violent and targeted against women uh if you want like really scary witch hunts look at like denmark and sweden mm-hmm. england you know they went kind of hard sweden went real hard scotland went a little bit crazy the thing that i'm most disappointed about is a lot of the witch hunts in like sweden and norway were lutherans they were there's a whole haunted witch island in sweden i want to go to this you want to go to the there's a maze of rocks i want to go also to the icelandic witch museum which is evidently in the back of a restaurant that sounds about right and also the human skin pants are fake just in case anybody wondered i want to go to the darwin museum in moscow because it's all about bigfoot there i just found out that peter the great had a museum in saint petersburg and I want to go there really bad because it's got his like former dog and like one of his manservants. It's basically just a hodgepodge of things he collected, but they're still there. There's also it's a bric-a-brac like, room. Pretty much. There's also a very well-preserved woolly mammoth at their zoological um, society. And I want to see that. Do we need to list a coolest thing we saw at a museum? Because I have mine. What's yours? I don't have one right now. Uh, the Venus of uh, Wilmond- of Wilmendorf. Oh, that's cool. I got to see her in uh, Vienna, Austria, and it was like almost life-changing. Look it up, people. She's very small. <laughs> She's very small. But uh, as Tori thinks about her coolest thing, uh, so the problem with men trying to like reconquista a witch hunt especially when it's not appropriate is that one it diminishes the pain that a lot of women went through 
And two, it's just inaccurate. If you're being held accountable for your own actions, that's not a witch hunt. That's called due process. Like, it's sort of like a, there's a lot of debate around like cancel culture and stuff like that. Actually, right now with a YouTuber we both like. Uh Uh-oh. Lindsay Ellis. Why are they going after Lindsay? She made some comments about uh, Raya and the Last Dragon uh, that, okay, so I read the tweets. I get where she's coming from, but I can also see why some people are a little bit this flattens the narrative because she basically like compared it to Avatar The Last Airbender and she says like a lot of fiction that's depicting certain cultures feels this way. And like, she's not wrong but also like that's not the way i would have worded that argument and basically like every asian on twitter got upset with her so much so uh that she deleted her account oh so i watched unfortunately poor Liv from let's talk about myths baby get attacked because she told somebody not to steal her book from a website I saw that. And I'm like, first of all, she's doing the right thing. When you publish a book, you really don't want people stealing it on a free website. No. So no, she's not going to help some guy find a link to her book online. Why would you also, why would you ask? Why would you ask the author that? There's so many other, there's so many other ways you could have gone about that. But like, because okay so fun fact back in the day i used to pirate anime because everyone did like i'm not gonna go up to like masashi kishimoto and be like how do i bootleg naruto (laughs) he probably knows but like that's not what you do uh but yeah like there's a lot of um there's a lot of concern with diluting the term witch hunt because especially by misdirecting it that way when it's really just people being held accountable for their actions it's really unfortunate and i mean men will con- men will overplay their pain all the time but it's like you know you're being held accountable for something bad that you did that's not a witch hunt what i oh. think is really interesting lately is we've seen this increase in products of different companies pulling back on certain things before that they're like, well, now that I know better, I'm going to do better. And people mm-hmm. losing their damn minds. The Aunt Jemima mm-hmm. thing, the uh, the Dr. Seuss thing is what blows my mind. The estate of Dr. Seuss said these books haven't been selling. You know, they're yeah, not like no popular. One's reading, no one reads his Lady Godiva thing. Like, we're going to stop publishing them. Also, they're kind of racist. So it's probably better that we do that anyway. And it's like people are losing their mind. I hate to tell you this. Books go out of print all the time. Sometimes mm-hmm. the research I have to do for this show, I have to go dig up old paperback copies from the 70s of certain things to get supporting materials. Thank now, you, JSTOR. Th- <laughs> thankfully, a lot of... Um, Things are now being put on like Google Books or mm. have been digitized. We're seeing a lot of texts um, from like great thinkers from like around the time of Mary Shelley, including her father, whose works mm. are going up online thanks to volunteers and things like that um, mm. for low cost or no cost. But there are books go out of print every single day. Mm. And that's a financial decision most of the time. 
Mm-hmm. And so it, it blows my mind where it's like, we're going to protest. Well, have you ever read that book? Have you ever purchased it from a store? Now, if it is your right. favorite book and you've read it 8,000 times, I can understand you being upset. But if it's a book that you've never even heard of until someone said that it might be racist, we need to have a conversation. Well, and, and to speak on the Aunt Jemima thing a little bit as an African-American, it's also such like a token gesture like thank you for this literally knowing well people were mad people have been mad but like the the outcry came after we were being murdered like thank you for changing the syrup lady that's very nice stop killing us like that's what sparked the conversation was murder it's 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 really funny to me because I have family members who are still very much like I don't understand this and I don't understand why we're doing cancel culture and all this and I'm like do you guys remember the huge doxing incident with Gamergate do you remember all these people doxing is never okay I'm sorry it's not because you're putting somebody at risk like that we're never gonna advocate for that Neither Um, is swatting. Don't swat people. I had a cosplay group who had never actually read an article I wrote try to come after me, including a man from Georgia who was a tax guy, like he did taxes, reach out to me on my private Facebook and threaten to rape and kill me because I wrote an article on cosplay. Mm Mm-hmm which was don't use these particular costumes if you're going to be in the masquerade because you probably won't win because mm-hmm. they're oversaturated. Mm-hmm. And if anybody had actually read the article, it wouldn't have been a problem. Right. Instead, nobody read it. They shared it and I got a bunch of death threats. Yeah. Um, so we're never going to advocate for things like that. But witch hunt, I think just... One of the things that I'm always shocked by is like when words lose meaning. Mm-hmm. Just think about what that actually means. Because I mean, witch hunts were terrifying. They were horrifying and they affected a lot of innocent women, a lot of women who did nothing. I mean, were, were there probably some crazy old ladies like out in the woods doing some shit? Of course there were. Because <laughs> witches do and did exist just not in the form that people think um there's a really really cool youtube channel that i fell down an absolute rabbit hole with uh called forgotten lives and it talks about a few of those witch stories of like this woman was thought to be a witch and like this is how her life was completely fucked and it was great because it made me angry all over again about a juliana pastrana and uh the black of catalonia well, now I'm going to be on a, like a rabbit hole with this, aren't I? Yeah. Um, so, okay. So it's it's the Negro of Catalonia. Basically, there was a Bushman from the San tribe who died in like, I think like the 1800s. And instead of being given a proper burial, he was taxidermied by white people because, you know, white people going to white people. This before. Yeah. So he's taxidermied and like put on display he ends up in spain and uh the spanish are like hey he's cool we're just gonna keep him 
Spain kept him for hundreds of years. And finally, the people of the San, or like analogous San, were like, hey, can we have our brother back, please? Like, can we can we have our family member back and give him a proper burial? And Spain was like, no. And they went on like the pettiest campaign. They, they had like little buttons and like, we love the Negro. Like, they... <laughs> The face Tori just made, I think, was the best. I almost wish we could show you guys video. But um, they had, like, the dumbest and pettiest campaign. Because at this point, we're talking, like, the we're talking, like, recent history. Like, less than 50 years ago. Like, what you're saying is if I go on eBay, I can find one of those buttons? You probably could. You probably could. And it's like, we love our Black man. I'm about to get flagged <laughs> for Googling Spain a right Negro campaign. Uh, eventually, he did return to his homeland and everything's okay now. But yeah, Spain was just so petty about it. Where it's like, no, we we love our colored man. <laughs> uh, I'm finding Spanish Civil War art prints. I mean, he, you know what? For taxidermy, he wasn't bad. It's really hard to taxidermy a human, which makes me sound like a uh, serial killer. There is a movie that just premiered at South by Southwest, which is a musical about a woman online looking for a man to taxidermy. It's called Stuffed. And oh my God, I'm watching it going, why am I watching this? Why am I still watching this? I kind of want to watch this again. What is wrong with me? Um, it's gross. Of course. But it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, and it's designed to be a comedy. Mm -hmm. So if you have a really sick sense of humor, you'll probably enjoy it. So Tori, remember how I said this happened like less than 50 years ago? Yes. Do you, do you, would you like to know when this man was returned to Botswana? Was it the 70s? No. The 80s? No. The 90s? No. Early 2000? In 2000, he was returned to Botswana. Holy guacamole. After being killed in like the 1800s. <sighs> I think that's that's been one of the most jarring things about starting this podcast with you is mm -hmm. going through history and having this picture in my mind of Oh, this happened like 200 years ago. This must have been cleared up by now. And then it's like 2018. Yeah, and then, and then I, I come over here like, hey, uh, this happened like, like actually this, this stuff is still happening. It's, it's like a little aside during his speech. It's like, and that time we ended slavery. Oh, we, we ended slavery way later than everyone else. Oh, oh sorry about that. Oh. I kind of feel like just for doing this show, I just need a shirt that says "Oh, for F's sake" and just point to it. <laughs> I mean, pretty much. Uh, realistically, the West has a bad uh, track record of returning people uh, to their homelands. Like, like Julia Pastrana wasn't returned to her homeland until very recently. So I have a feeling this is just what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my day. By the way. Mm -hmm. Is just looking at people who have not been returned to their homeland in death. Oh my god. Can we get Joseph Merrick back? Oh, Joseph. 
So for those still... of you who don't know who Joseph Merrick is, he's better known to the world as the Elephant Man. That's it. Can I get some props for calling him by his name, please? Thank you for calling him by his like, name. Like, can I get some fucking props for calling him by his name? Thank I'm, you. I'm actually really pleased and impressed with you. Thank you. Oh, Jesus. there's actually an entire video about Tituba on the... Uh, yes. Forgotten Lives. I'll be adding that in. <laughs> You're welcome, Forgotten Lives. I gave oh you another God. subscriber. The problem with this is literally I'm not going to get anything done. <gasps> yeah, I got to learn about a, a clan of cannibal Scots. Oh, I know about them. <laughs> what the fuck? What were y'all doing? They might not actually have ever I don't real. give a hoot and a half. I don't give two hoots. What the fuck? <laughs> Excuse me? An incestuous clan of cannibal Scots? Just in the goddamn hills? Now I just feel like I need to like share the Bean family story with everybody. Where do you think we got ideas for things like the hills have eyes? Come on. We're gonna put that in, we're gonna add that video which he has one on to the list. Uh, so do you want to talk about Arthur Miller? I do. I do before I like go down this rabbit hole all day. Before this video is just Amanda being upset about historical figures that may or may not have existed. Though I do love the idea of the Bean family existing because that means that the story about King James, who was gay, riding in and trying to murder them. I can see that. Yeah. So we are not reading the King James Bible for Pride Month, though. <laughs> how would we? How would we cover that? How Mostly do we... just screaming into a microphone. Do you want to read the Mally's Maleficarum because he loved it? I mean, I do again, but okay. So Arthur Miller, actually Arthur Asher Miller, was Which born a October seventeenth. Yes, it's actually one of the tribes of um, Israel. Um, oh, in 1950 in Harlem, uh, The Crucible mm -hmm. and Death of a Salesman are his best-known works. He was of Jewish and Polish descent. Mm -hmm. um, Miller delivered bread every morning before school to help his family. He did a ton of odd jobs to pay for college tuition, where he attended the University of Michigan. He was a psychiatric aide and copywriter before taking a post at New York University and the University of New Hampshire. He was part mm -hmm. of the League of American Writers during World War II. This is important because many of the members in the group were also members of the Communist Party, which thus his association. I'm sorry, but that sounds like a very, very shitty like superhero group. The League of American Writers. Yeah, like it sounds, it sounds like whatever uh, League uh, Clock King is on. Now I'm trying to remember what that is from. Okay, anyway. DC. He's a DC villain, air quotes. I know, I'm, I'm trying to remember what their, their organization is called. Meanwhile, people in the background are screaming, going, you watched all of Harley Quinn's cartoon. How do you not know? Oh, it was a... There's a League of Supervillains. And uh, we'll Google it later. Amanda's tired. Go ahead. I'm gonna like... Hang on. Never mind, that's not helpful at all. 
Yeah, there's just actually an entire Wikipedia page of criminal organizations in DC Comics. I'm somehow shocked, but not shocked. I do know about the Court of Owls, which is great because they have a little slogan that's uh, "Beware the Court of Owls who watch you as you sleep." Why do I know that? <laughs> so, so many reasons. Uh, continue. There's also the Injustice Gang, which is not the Injustice League. But... No. League of Assassin, Legion of Doom. Anyway, That's what I'm I was thinking of. I'm going to let it go. It's um, okay. You're doing great. Let it go. Um, no. In 1940, he married Mary Grace Allett Early. I'm pro- I apologize for butchering that if his family is still alive. And they had two kids. He wrote the play All My Sons in 1947, and it became a success on Broadway, which earned him a Tony Award. Mm-hmm. He ended up writing Death of a Salesman within a day. In, Cocaine's a hell of a drug. In 1952, he was called before the House of Un-American Activities Committee. He began writing about the experience through the lens of the Salem Witch Trials. Thus, The Crucible was born. It was mm-hmm. first performed in 1952 and published in 1953. He refused to call anyone out saying, quote, I could not use the name of another person and bring trouble on him, end quote. He was found in contempt of Congress. He was sentenced to a fine, a prison sentence, blacklisted, and denied a U.S. passport. In 1958, mm-hmm. the ruling was overturned in the Court of Appeals, and this would have been after, I believe, McCarthy had died. One of the mm-hmm. investigations flat out told him, like I was saying, that he could get it all to go away if he set up a meet and greet with Marilyn Monroe. Mm-hmm. So in June 1956, he left his first wife after having an affair with Marilyn Monroe. Monroe had just turned 30 when they got married. She was reconsidering having a career in Hollywood because she was very unhappy. She converted to Judaism. And her life was fairly normal for a while. Miller gave her more attention and affection than she had been used to. But when they began to have marital problems, Marilyn began taking sleeping pills. And then to wake her up from those drugs, she started taking the drugs to keep her awake. They divorced in 1961 after five years of marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, she died shortly thereafter. In 1962, Miller married photographer Inga Morath. They had two children as well. Miller institutionalized their son, Daniel, who was born with Down syndrome against his wife's wishes. She went to visit their kid often. Miller rarely spoke to him. Their later son-in-law, Daniel Day-Lewis, what? Um, went to visit Daniel frequently. Daniel Day-Lewis actually starred in the 1996 film adaptation of The Crucible because Miller wrote the screenplay, which mm-hmm. good on you, Daniel. Um, which is, I think, the one that everyone knows. Like, that's probably yes. the one that, when you think of the Crucible, that's yes, the that's, one you know. That's where it's adultery, John, comes from. Anyway, <laughs> his works were actually banned in the USSR because he campaigned for the freedom of dissident writers there. Not surprising. Uh, Inga died in 2001. Miller announced in 2004 he'd been living with a 34-year-old minimalist hater named Agnes Barkley and attempted sure. to marry her. Unfortunately, he died in 2005, and Miller's daughter Rebecca kicked Barkley off the farm following her dad's death and told her to get lost. Miller had died from bladder cancer and heart failure. I, you know, I, uh, I can't believe that he lived until 2005. Right? My brain's like, oh, he probably died in like the 80s, and I'm like, oh, again, our time frames and our concepts of time, time is a myth. Because he was born in 1915. The fact that, like, he lived to 2005, like, in theory, we could have met him. 
Uh, there's blow a, your mind. There's also a huge collection of his stuff at a uh, the Ransom Center in Austin, which we're planning a trip to when the uh, when the pandemic is over because they have everything. Oh my gosh, I want to see the James Henry Falk stuff. I want it. There's so many authors who have their stuff there. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, they're closed right now just because obviously you know like stuff. But there's so much at the Ransom Center. Uh, including a Gutenberg Bible. I've seen one. There was one in um, the Huntington Museum in California. I've seen one. They paraded one through my university for some fucking reason. So what was really weird is when we went to go look at the Gutenberg Bible at the Huntington, it was also when their corpse flower was about to bloom. And so most of the people were there to see the corpse flower. (laughs) Um, They actually filmed a lot of... um, Come on, brain. The good place there. Fun fact, I love corpse flowers. They're so stinky, but so pretty. They're very stinky, but I, oh my God, I love. Amanda's weird. I'm a, I'm a weird human being. I mean, so am I. So we get along. Um, questions from listeners. We had none. I mean, really, what, what is there to ask at this stage? why is mostly what what i think but i did this to us so you did um against my will yes very much against your will and i laughed because the sound like cut out right when you were like wait what i didn't agree to this and like dropped you off the call (laughs) like like you banished me for just for my dissidence uh we don't want to we do have a couple of adaptations as we mentioned uh the daniel day lewis film which is again the one that you probably know and then the play that tori mentioned earlier with richard dreyfus and michael york um as an audiobook is probably great as an audiobook i definitely recommend if you are having a hard time reading through this mm-hmm. to listen to it on audiobook because you get the inflections you get the feeling behind it and it makes mm-hmm. it a lot easier to understand than if you're just dry reading it so here's something that i started doing is um i'll listen to the audiobook while reading the book Yes, that helps a lot too. Because I still like highlighting and making notes and stuff like that. But, um, and also something that my aunt encouraged me to do while I was taking AP classes was reading the book and then like finding either like a movie or like just a visual representation of the works. Like we, I read West Side Story and then I watched West Side Story because at that point then it was a lot easier with the visual connection and also music helped out a lot. A lot of times I'll find if I think I've read something too fast and I don't know mm-hmm. if I've absorbed enough of it, I'll watch the movie and then I'll find myself going, that's not accurate. That didn't happen. And I'm like, oh, wait, I did absorb all I this. I did retain. Cool. Yeah, uh, I'm just annoying to watch movies with, so. Hence why I still know uh, the poem to summon Etrigan the Demon from DC Comics. Oh, my. Gone, this- gone, the form of man who nope. rises the demon Etrigan. No, no demons. No demons on this podcast. I, again, nerd. Very weird nerd. Um, so, Brianna loves Unsolved, or BuzzFeed Unsolved. And yes! so we literally walk up to each other and I go, rock and roll, buckaroo. And, or we'll look at each other and go, demon? Demon. That's, oh my God, I love that. So, <laughs> demon? Demon. Do you oh want God, to eat love- Ryan's heart? No! 
I love BuzzFeed Unsolved so much. Oh my god. So Why? you have another thing connected to my child now. Hell yes. I love BuzzFeed Unsolved so fucking much. They, I think like they were perfect. They were, they were perfect for that. I'm just, I, you know what? They're doing their own thing with Watcher and it's fine. I love Puppet History. Puppet History is great if you haven't watched it yet. It was on Hulu, I think. Or it is it on might Hulu. Be. Yeah. Puppet History is very good, even though they fucked up the story of the Beast of Javudan, but that's okay. So I used a lot of resources for this, even for mm -hmm. that just rambling portion. So I'm going to put them all in, but just so you guys know, there is a really amazing um, class that's just an audiobook, or you can download the information. It's called The Modern Scholar, American Inquisition, the Era of McCarthyism. And then there's a mm -hmm. book that came out fairly recently called Demagogue by Larry Ty. I'll also mm -hmm. see if I can pull up a link for um, where you can watch the Lavender Scare. That documentary had mm -hmm. me in tears. Um, it came out a few years ago, I want to say through like PBS. Um, mm -hmm. It's amazing, especially if you know someone in your life who is LGBT, um, just thinking of even just the past 50 years, what they've been through mm -hmm. and like, I think it's really funny because we were kind of like, oh, we've got our granddaddy gays and stuff. Y'all love on your mm -hmm. elders. Because without right. them, you you wouldn't have what you have now. Well, and, and it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that, especially like with the LGBT community. Again, like Stonewall. We talk about Stonewall like it happened a thousand years ago. Stonewall happened in 1969. Like this shit's recent. This stuff is not a thousand years old. This stuff is not ancient history. This is recent, guys. Well, it's like, like I believe Barbara Walters was born like the same year as Anne Frank. So like, you start to think about that and you're like- I can't what? wrap my head around that. That was, right? that's, <laughs> that was the one that made my brain 404. I can't wrap my head around that. Yeah. I mean, we, we have, like for crying out loud, Justin Trudeau's mom ran away with the Rolling Stones. Like you gotta understand that a lot of stuff that we kind of look back on with this lens of, oh, that was so far away. Mm -hmm. It's fairly recent. And that's that's kind of a problem that we have as Americans is with what's the Eddie Izzard joke? This is, we're making it look as it did over 50 years ago quick get rid of it smash it build a car park here like did you, do you know about the conspiracy about uh african-american activism and color photos no so there's a conspiracy that we're shown a lot of photos of like martin luther king jr and malcolm x in black and white to make it feel like it was farther away when there is color video and photos of these guys because it existed but we're shown the black and white to make it feel distanced and farther away so there's like a whole like educational conspiracy around why we're only consistently shown black and white footage of these events and these leaders. And it's true because like when you think about it, it's like it's a black and white photo. Oh yeah, that happened in like World War One, I, I guess. Like no, this was the fucking fifties. This wasn't that long ago. And it, uh, yeah, it's history. like I I can almost guarantee that you have relatives or friends, family mm -hmm. members who mm -hmm. were, lived through some of this stuff, y'all. 
absolutely 100% um but yeah that was a that was the crucible you want to tell them what we're reading next we're reading death of a salesman because Amanda gets revenge yep and then I the good news is I don't have to do Arthur Miller's history again nope we can just talk about how sad this play is oh it's very sad I have to see if I can find that clip from Buffy the Vampire Slayer where they're performing death of a salesman it's honestly, it's one of those plays that's just like a weird shorthand of like a lot of shows that are like centered in high school will do like Death of a Salesman and it's like, okay. Or they'll do the Glass Menagerie, but that makes oh, sense. We got to perform the Glass Menagerie in class. We were talking about that on our episode. We did. I miss I miss being able to do that stuff in class. That was the one time I wanted to talk in class. The one, the one time you wanted to be seen. Yeah. Uh, you can find us all over the social internet because uh, neither of us like being in our real lives all the time. Truth. Uh, we're on. Was that too real? Sorry. <laughs> um, we're on unfortunately required reading on Facebook. Unfortunately, RR on mm-hmm. Twitter. Unfortunately required on Instagram. And unfortunately mm-hmm. required reading.com. We do not have mm-hmm. a TikTok, mostly because I use TikTok for fun. I also use TikTok for fun. My TikTok is a lot of me watering my cactuses set to music from animes. How am I not following you on TikTok? Mm. Okay, we'll talk talk about private TikTok. We'll talk about that off camera. Yeah. All right. If you want to support our wine and cheese fund uh, for when we are able to record in person again and both of us got our first vaccines. Hell yes. That actually Uh, might be soon. Anchor.fm slash unfortunately required reading. We'd like to take this time to thank our current sponsors uh, who help keep the metaphorical and physical lights on. Without you, the show would not exist. I mean, that's a lie, but it sounds really nice as like a piece. I gestured. And we love you guys. Yeah, we love you. You know that. Like, you know that. As individuals in real life. As individual spirits that uh, buoy us up. Thank you. Uh, thank you all for listening we hope you had a good time and learned some fun stuff yeah we we do hope that you learned something uh i'm sorry for uh the technical issues last episode uh spectrum can eat my full ass do 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 (laughs) (laughs) when do y'all get when do y'all get google fiber is all i'm saying yeah exactly uh but thanks for listening guys uh stay safe be careful out there and uh go read a book